This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Please turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. If you go to 1 Peter, you're going to have to come back a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we're going to read verses 2 through 7 and then focus mostly on verses 4 through 6. This is God's Word. It's our great joy this morning to turn our attention here. We need His Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. I was drawn to this text for many reasons. The point of the text is, I think, what the pastoral team wanted us to focus on today, and actually for the next two Sundays, and that is experiencing the power and the joy of the Spirit. It's also, it's a, it's a reformed, charismatic text. Two theological positions that we embrace. Verse 4, we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Speaking of election, Verse 5, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So there's a charismatic dimension. Finally, it's a Trinitarian text. This text references each person 
in the Trinity, which is helpful if you want to think about the ongoing work of the Spirit. Verse 4, we are loved by God the Father. Verses 5 and 6, we're empowered by God the Holy Spirit. And in verses 3 and 5 and 6, we're transformed by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate. Jerry Bridges was a well-known author and teacher, a friend of ours as a church and a personal friend of mine until he went to be with the Lord a few years ago. And I, I used to joke with him about being Jerry the Charismatic because he was known and well-respected in reform circles as a teacher and author and not as a Charismatic. But he would say things and I would, I would say, Jerry the Charismatic... And he would laugh and say, well, I'm open but cautious. The term charismatic can be associated with the misuse of the gifts of the Spirit, much like you see in the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, the, the, letter to, the first letter to the Corinthians. It can also be associated with the lower view of Scripture, so he was hesitant to, to be called a charismatic, so I love to call him one. So we sometimes will we'll call ourselves continuationists, not, so we're not misunderstood. But what we mean is that we believe the, the Spirit continues to work in the church the way the Spirit worked in the church in the New Testament. We believe the gifts of the Spirit have not ceased. The last book that Mr. Bridges published was not written for publication. He actually told me that he had written it for his family. He wanted to just them to be able to remember all that God had done in his life, and he was very thankful. And so he wrote this book, but when the people read it, other people read it, they wanted him to publish it, and I highly recommend it. It's called God Took Me by the Hand, a, a story of God's unusual providence. And I, I found that it, it really speaks in that book. He's actually defending Jerry the Charismatic, in my opinion. But I found that Reformed folks and really Charismatic folks, there's, there's, a, there's a lot that encourages one another. And it's not mutually exclusive. I have found, being a Reformed Charismatic, that I benefit on both sides. In the book, and Mr. Bridges tells about in early 1957, this is one of many examples of the Spirit at work in his life. He was single at the time, about 28 years old. He makes no bones about it. He wanted to get married. And he was spending time in Psalm 116. He was especially drawn to verse 7, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. As he was praying over this verse, he had this sense that God was saying to him something like, I have marriage plans for you, and when it happens, you will say the Lord has indeed dealt bountifully with me. He, he, he says he never told this story because he doesn't think this is the normal way God works in people's lives, and he didn't want to tempt them, but in the book, he, he wrote about it. He felt this so strongly that when he sensed this, that God was saying something like that to him, he wrote the date in his Bible. Very charismatic, in my opinion. As time went by, though, he began to question if God had really 
spoken to him. And finally, he just completely dismissed it. For the most part, forgot about it. And then in December 1959, he had just turned 30. We were born the same week. He was 30 years older than me. He was single with no prospects, quote unquote, and he was lonely. He had met this girl, Eleanor, a few years before, and he was going to New York City. He was stationed in Europe with the Navigators, and he wrote to ask her to dinner in January 1960. He wrote her, and they hadn't had any contact for three years. And when they had met, he said he didn't really like her because she, she sang kind of classical music and he was still outgrowing country gospel, he said. But after mailing the letter, asking her for dinner, before he arrived in the state, he, prayed, he, prayed, he was praying the Lord would take away this desire for marriage so he could be content. He'd pretty much given up hope in marriage and the Lord said, what about that promise I gave you? Now, remember, this is a Reformed theologian. He's talking to God, you know. You're supposed to notice that. He remembered the day was in 1957, but he wasn't using the Bible that he had been using at that time, so he had to dig it out of his footlocker, and he discovered that the date was March 17th, which, of course, was the exact date he was going to be having dinner with Eleanor. They had dinner at the Empire State Building. All those of you who watch You've Got Mail, uh huh. I'm sure he had no idea about the movie. <laughs> the rest is history. They were married. He tells a lot of stories like this. In my opinion, he experienced more of the presence and joy of the Spirit than most charismatics I know. He enjoyed communion with God. He loved the Scripture. And the Spirit loves the Word. Here's what he wrote defending his charismatic Jerry. The Holy Spirit instructs or guides us in different ways, including at times through precise words planted in our minds. So precise that it seems as if another person is speaking to us. Now, if you're Reformed and you wonder about prophetic ministry, this is Jerry Bridges, okay? I call this the inaudible voice of the Spirit. I know this way is controversial, and many people whom I respect are adamant that the Holy Spirit never communicates this way. Their objection is that such phenomena would be equated to divine revelation on, on a par with Scripture. But divine revelation, by definition, adds new content by which God reveals truths for the whole church. With the closing of the canon of Scripture, we believe, and we believe this, such revelation no longer occurs. What I am saying is that the Holy Spirit sometimes speaks to us in that inaudible voice by way of illumination or application of Scripture to one's personal life. You see the fellowship with the Spirit that he was enjoying. That's what this message is, a, is about. Mr. Bridges did not believe the Holy Spirit had ceased to operate in the life of believers. He didn't believe that the, the, the Spirit was no longer working 
in the church. And I am so thankful that he and I have found many other Reformed believers feel the same way. We all want to experience the presence of God. So the main point today, I believe what the Lord wants to do is encourage us, encourage our desire to experience the power of the Spirit in our lives and in our church, to experience the joy of the Spirit in a fresh way. It's a call for us to pursue this greater experience. We're going to begin with the Trinity, the triune nature of God. For the Apostle Paul and and the churches that he oversaw, faith was experienced in the life of a Christian. It wasn't a dead faith. It was a living faith. This is really at the center of how he thought about the Christian life. He expected the people of God to be profoundly encouraged in their faith by what they experienced. It built their faith. Gordon Fee has written a book, God's Empowering Presence. He's actually a charismatic theologian. The Holy Spirit in the letters of Paul. He says this, for some... A book on the Spirit as theology is the kiss of death. And in many ways, I'm in that camp, but we lack a better word. And in the final analysis, the health of the contemporary church necessitates that its theology of the Spirit and its experience of the Spirit correspond more closely. That's what we want. What we believe The Bible teaches about this this experience of the Spirit. What Paul's talking about here in this text. The power of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Holy Spirit. We want to make sure that our understanding of what the Bible teaches about this and our experience correspond. Now many of us want this. Fee says that he wrote God's empowering presence to, to think through Paul's understanding of life in the Spirit. He's a Pauline scholar, a, a, a scholar of the Apostle Paul. And he said it had a profound impact on his life when he began to study what Paul said about the Spirit. And he would say this text was the first mention of the Spirit in all of Paul's writing. And he, he wrote that considering these things led him to a fresh encounter with God. And it's important in his view that this first mention of the Spirit is a Trinitarian text. Verse 3, we remember before our God and Father. Your steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. Michael Reeves has written a great book on the Trinity. It's called Rejoicing in the Trinity. It's available in the bookstore. The Trinity is not a problem. Far, far from it. Pressing into the Trinity 
We're doing what in Psalm 27 David said he could do all the days of his life. We're gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. That's what we want to do this morning as we think about the Trinity. We're going to press into the Trinity just a little today so we might feel as David felt and observe and see the beauty of the Lord. It's in this context of thinking about the ongoing work of the Spirit that we're doing this. Reeves says the irony could not be thicker. What we assume would be a dull or peculiar irrelevance, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, turns out to be the source of all that is good in Christianity. The triune being of God is the vital oxygen of Christian life and joy. And I'm sure you know that. I'm sure you were praying this week. Man, I hope we talk about the Trinity. I have found myself studying the Trinity more this past year than I ever have before. And I feel like the result has been a better understanding of who God is. I feel like it's led me to a deeper fellowship with Him. And I encourage you to do the same. That there can be a tendency, isn't this true, that when we think about the Spirit, we think of the Spirit as impersonal, as an it rather than a him. Dr. Fee, in his book on God's empowering presence, tells the story of being on sabbatical, and he's, he's on sabbatical, he's a New Testament scholar, and he goes to this small island for his sabbatical, he lived in Canada, and he was in the, on the Pacific Ocean, and he went on the Lord's Day to church at a very small little church, and a good friend of his, his was teaching a little class for children, and she was trying to illustrate the reality of the Holy Spirit by blowing on a piece of paper and letting it fly away. And the teacher said, the Spirit's like the wind, very real in its effects, even though invisible to us. And there was a little six-year-old boy there who said, I want the wind to be uninvisible. And Dr. Fee leaned over to his wife and said, that is a profound theological moment. <laughs> because the Spirit is not visible, we tend to think of him in non-personal non terms, as an it and not a him. Images take over, and Fee says we tend to think of him as a gray, oblong blur. According to Scripture, Jesus, God the Son incarnate, has imaged for us the glory of God. He's the one true man who bears the divine image. Beholding his face, we see the glory of the eternal God. And we must recognize that this is true about God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Christ has put a human face on the Spirit in our text. Paul is assuming the triune being of God. It deals with the Spirit. And when we deal with the Spirit, we're, we're dealing with none other than the personal presence of God himself. 
The persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are one in essence, one in being, one in will, one in power. They work inseparably. Creation, providence, salvation in our lives, they're indivisible in essence, indivisible in operation. They work inseparably in our lives. They're singular in nature and will. When they do something, they perform a singular action. Matthew Barrett has written a new book called Simply Trinity, the unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. He says, this is getting a little deep, separate individual centers of consciousness and will may be true of created persons like me and you, but cannot be true of divine persons. Otherwise, the Godhead would be divided. Father, Son, and Spirit are one in essence. And they work inseparably in our lives. This, this is absolutely essential if you want to have an orthodox view of the Trinity. If you'd like to not be a heretic. The persons of the Trinity are one in essence and they work inseparably, inseparably, but the Son is not the same person as the Father. While there's one essence, there are three persons. The Spirit is not the same person as the Father. So what does the Bible mean when it calls God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The Father is unbegotten. The Bible calls the, the Father, Father, because He begets His Son, though He Himself is begotten by no one. The Son is begotten, generated. The Bible calls the Son, Son, because He is begotten by His Father. The Son is eternally begotten. The Spirit is breathed out. The, the Bible calls the Spirit, Spirit, because He is breathed out. Theologians say, spirated by the Father and Son. Matthew 3, 16 says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Notice the father declares his love for his son. He is pleased with his son. And at Jesus' baptism, he declares his love for his son and his pleasure for him as the spirit rests on Jesus. So we know the way the father makes known his love is through giving his spirit. Paul says this about believers who received the gift of the Spirit in Romans 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In our text, verse 6, you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit is also the bringer of joy. 
That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So that, that's why we see the New Testament shouting at us all the time to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is the one through whom the Father loves, through whom He blesses. That's how He empowers His Son. He was the anointed one, supremely filled with the Spirit. Remember in the book of Exodus when God told Moses, my, my presence is not going with you. The, the Israelites had sinned. He said, I'm not going, my presence is not going with you. And then Moses in Exodus 33 said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every, every other people on the face of the earth? We have to pray like this. Again, Gordon Fee, life in the present is, is empowered by the God who dwells among us and in us. As the personal presence of God, the Spirit is not merely some force or influence. The living God is a God of power, and by the Spirit, the power of the living God is present with and for us. I learned something special about May 4th this year. I didn't know this. Apparently, everybody else in the world knew this for many years. May 4th, maybe some of you don't know. This is free of charge today. May 4th is a special day for all the Star Wars fans. They have turned it into a special celebration. May the 4th be with you. You get it? Go with you? May the 4th be with you, go with you. May the 4th be with you. You know, that really does confirm my perception of Star Wars fans. And I would recommend you watch a good cowboy movie, personally. The reformer John Calvin says all people have a sense of God. According to scripture, every human being has a sense of God. Including Star Wars fans. There's something in us that desires a greater power. You'll see it in all different kinds of places. We want a greater power. Certainly Paul did. He, he taught us believers we, we need the Spirit. You really can't do this life apart from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. All right, let's turn our attention now just to this text and unpack it just for a minute. Read with me, beginning in verse 5. Our gospel came to you not only in word, so it wasn't just in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. 
You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. We preached the truth of the gospel in the power of the Spirit, Paul says. We proved to be a certain kind of person among you. Paul and his co-workers were in private what they were claiming to be in public. They followed Christ faithfully in their lives. And these Thessalonians, by the grace of God, were filled with the power of the Spirit, and they became imitators of Paul and his co-workers. Specifically, they experienced joy in the midst of adversity and difficulty, persecution, suffering. They had a powerful joy that nothing could take from them. And that's what they observed in Paul. And they became examples to all the other churches. They experienced the power and the joy of the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. They proved to be a certain type of people, a certain type of church. This is what Paul thinks of when he thinks of the same thing you think of when you think of revival. For Paul, that's revival. It's powerful. People, Paul is following Christ. They are imitating him. It's an example. It's all through the power of the Spirit. We had this week our legacy groups met. And they had a testimony. A young lady gave a testimony from her one-to-one group. So Titus 2 talks about older women mentoring younger women. This is really our philosophy of women's ministry because it's so clearly and specifically laid out in Titus 2 in the New Testament. And so... The one-to-one group is where we give the opportunities for older women to be with younger women and to mentor them. And the testimony was, you know, that this young lady talked about being a a mother of young children and all the, the stress that she faced and how this older woman brought the truth of God's Word and told her about what God's word said and redirected her and spoke truth into situations and gave her testimony about God's faithfulness in her life. And this young lady talked about how much she enjoyed hearing about her early years of marriage and how God had been so faithful in, in her life. And I think there's more here than you may perceive. So when I heard about it, I heard about the testimony, I was so encouraged, and then I'm studying this text, I'm like, that's exactly what's going on in this text, and I think what you saw, those of you at the legacy meeting this week, what you saw was a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. According 
to our text through the work of the Spirit, there are three things we should expect, what we want to experience. We want to experience power. We want to experience God's empowering presence in our lives and in the church. We want to experience joy. Not that's based on our circumstances, but a, a deep joy that you really notice in the midst of suffering. And we have so many examples here. I, I honestly, I started to just use some as illustration. I, I, I'd get, I wouldn't know where to begin. There's so many people that demonstrate joy in just incredible circumstances, and I think I could never do that. And then I realized, wait a minute, they're full of the Spirit. That's what, that's what explains the joy. And then full conviction. There's a full, a deep conviction about the gospel and about the Lord Jesus Christ, about God's Word that comes when the Spirit is at work. It's the power that it, of the Spirit that explains these experiences. He's, he's talking about their suffering. They, they're being persecuted by their former pagan friends. They've, they've been criticized. They've got this new religion, and it isn't Greek, and it's being spread by this kind of roving Jew, the apostle Paul. And part of the charge, if you read Acts 17, is it doesn't seem their religion is honoring Caesar. That's a dangerous charge. Paul had planted this church. He had to leave abruptly, and he's concerned about them, so he sends Timothy. Timothy comes back. He gets a report. He's encouraged by so much. He's writing them to strengthen their faith. And how does he do that? He reminds them of the Spirit's power in their life. I hope all of you will just think about powerful moments in your life. It will encourage your faith. Verse 5, our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That's the effect of the empowering presence. Paul preached the gospel. It was accompanied when he preached with the power of the Spirit. They, they experienced the power of the Spirit when they received the gospel. They were converted. Your conversion is a, is a powerful illustration of the Spirit's work in your life, isn't it? And there was joy produced in spite of difficulties. So we Spirit-empowered preaching, Spirit-experienced conversion. Paul faithfully preached, the Spirit was present, and they were transformed. Our gospel came to you not only in word. Paul didn't just preach in words. He preached with his example. That's what the ladies were talking about this week in our legacy meeting. It, their, their behavior. His preaching and their response, it wasn't like the, the kind of word that other religions were preaching or the charlatans that were so common during the day. They were hypocrites, con artists. They used flattery as a pretense for greed. They just wanted money. Paul didn't flatter, and he wasn't greedy. He was a type of man 
that had been transformed by the gospel and his word, his preaching came with deep conviction because of the power of the Spirit. And that's what made his preaching effective was the presence of God the Holy Spirit. We should expect this kind of power when we do gospel ministry. We should expect the Spirit to be working deeply in our lives and in our outreach. In our text, Paul's reminding them of all these experiences of wonders, power, joy, deep and full conviction. In other epistles in the New Testament, he'll talk about signs and wonders of an apostle. I'm sure they saw this in Thessalonica, but but Paul is drawing attention to their joy. He's drawing attention to their deep convictions, to their conversion. And that's what encouraged their faith. They, they knew God was at work. They were following Christ faithfully. They were imitating Paul. Their experience of the Spirit matched their theology of the Spirit. The joy that they had. Paul was a model for all this. And it resulted from being filled with the Spirit. They had come from this paganism where there were, you know, just like today, there were moments of happiness, but by and large, life was heavy. Life was difficult. There wasn't this kind of joy. Any religion they had known was dry. It was empty. It was unsatisfying. Many of these people that made up this church were slaves, If they weren't slaves and they were free, they were poor. And yet, they had received the gospel with the power of the Spirit, and they had a joy that was noticeable. It was an example. In the New Testament, joy and suffering go go together. 1 Thessalonians 3 says, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know we are destined for them. So any, any teaching that would say we're not supposed to suffer or experience adversity just isn't biblical. This is a recurring theme in the New Testament. It's like we're, we're destined. God's in control. His purposeful sovereignty, His providence is at work in our lives. And we're we're destined for hard times at times. But what we're promised is powerful joy. Gordon Fee again, he says, The early church understood suffering to be part of its lot. And believers were not to be surprised by it. Yet, because they had experienced their new life as the indwelling of the Spirit... They also lived with great joy. In the midst of present suffering, their experience of the eschatological, the end time spirit, had given them a foretaste of the life to come. It was supernatural. It was beyond this earth, what they were experiencing. Precisely because of the spirit's presence in this way, Paul will later in this letter Describe the will of God in the form of three imperatives, the first of which is rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. 
It's a powerful thing. And I, I want to pause and thank you. Those of you who have experienced adversity, suffering in the midst of our congregation and demonstrated this kind of joy, I want to encourage your faith. I want you to think for a minute. This is God's work in your life. And we notice. We thank God for you. Just like Paul thanks God for this congregation. We thank God for you. So, glory to God. And you have our respect. And my hope is, what I think the point of this text is, is that the Spirit's work in your life will strengthen your faith. Because you'll look back, yes, I did have joy. Yes, it was in the midst of suffering. And you'll realize, that was God working in me. It was a miracle. We want to experience the power and the joy of the Spirit in a fresh way. We want our theology and our experience to match. Here's our statement of faith. When Christ ascended, he poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, ushering in a greater experience of God's presence and power among his people. The Spirit desires to fill God's people continually with increased power for Christian life and witness. To be filled with the Spirit is to be more fully under his influence, more aware of his presence, more effective in his service. A filling of the Spirit brings to God's people a deeper knowledge of Christ, an increased desire for holiness, a stronger commitment to unity and love, a greater fruitfulness in ministry, a deeper gratitude for our salvation. All of us are like, that's, that's what I need, Lord. The Spirit sovereignly bestows gifts on every believer. Spiritual gifts are those abilities and expressions of God's power given by His grace for the glory of Christ and building up of the church. We want to stir the gifts of the Spirit. The variety of those gifts reflects the diversity of the members of Christ's body and demonstrates our need for one another. This is our theology of the Spirit. And as you read that, as I read that, I'm like, Lord, fill us with your Spirit. We, we are so in need of this in this season that we're living in. We need power. We need strength. If we're going to fulfill the call that we have, we need our experience to match this statement. And that's my prayer. May our experience, even this week, match our theology. May we experience true revival. May we experience the power and the joy of the Spirit. Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would come in power. Here are prayers. There's desires here that are being stirred even by looking at this text. Lord, we, we want to know you, Lord. We want to experience 
the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So come, Lord. I pray, Father, that for everyone who is in this room listening via the live stream, Lord, I pray that their faith would be strengthened during these trying times. And Lord, I pray that they would be filled with the Spirit so that, Lord, we will be examples so that, Lord, we will be imitators of the Apostle Paul and all those believers who have followed Christ throughout the centuries. Father, may we be those marked by the presence of God. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.